And tonight, I want to conclude our sermon series with a message entitled, The Responsibility of Freedom. I tell you, I was nervous when I did that. I don't know why I have that. The Responsibility of Freedom. Remember that old Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man version, when his uncle says, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Well, with great freedom comes great responsibility. And we've been given an incredible freedom. We've been given an awesome liberty in God. We have been set free from the power of sin, the Bible says, from the enemy of darkness. We have been given just a wonderful freedom that we can share in Christ. And we have a responsibility with that freedom. We need to ask ourselves, what are we doing with the freedom that God has given us? Each and every one of us, uh, as an individual, what am I doing with the freedom that God has given me? Am I just enjoying it? Am I just uh, uh, using it up and, and, and taking advantage of that liberty? Or am I using that liberty, am I using that freedom to serve God, to honor God, to bless others, to, to serve others? Someone said, responsibility is the price of freedom. Responsibility is the price of freedom. In other words, that uh, each and every one of us as a born-again Christian that has been freed by the power of Christ, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to God, and we have a responsibility to one another that we would use the freedom that God has given us to honor and to glorify God and to bless the people of God. Book of Luke, chapter 19, verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. We can pray for this evening's message. Father, we thank you for the freedom that you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the liberty that we get to experience in him, God, that, uh, Lord, we have been set free, Father God, that the enemy no longer holds claim to us, but, Lord, we belong to you. And I ask that tonight, Father God, Lord, you would just uh, season these words with grace, my God, Lord, that tonight you would stir, challenge, and encourage your people, God. Help us tonight, Father God, that we would appreciate all that you've done and the blessing that you have given us, and the freedom, Lord, that we have been given in you, Father God. And tonight, Father God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified, my God. And Lord, even now, my God, speaking to those individuals, Lord, whom you tonight, Lord, would call for salvation, God, that they would respond in Jesus' name. I thank you, and we all say amen. You think about uh, Jesus' earthly ministry uh, and what it consisted of. He was uh, going about healing. You know, often there's examples in the Bible of, of the healings that would take place and the people that would come up to receive healing and the deliverance uh, that he would uh, bring into people's lives, the demon-possessed uh, or those that were oppressed, uh, they would bring him to Jesus and he, would, he was able to set them free. You think about the miracles that he did and how he turned the water into wine and how he multiplied just a, a few loaves of bread and some fish. Right? You, you think about the, the authority that he had as a teacher as he went about teaching and, and, and bringing the understanding that the kingdom of God was at hand. This was all part of his earthly ministry. But his whole earthly ministry, the purpose and the goal of him being on, on this earth and becoming flesh and walking among us uh, 
was to die for us, was to die for our sins, was to take the penalty of our sin, to take the punishment for our iniquity and everything that we've ever done, every sin that we've ever done against God. Uh, the purpose of Jesus' earthly mission was to come and to die on that cross and raise three days later and defeat death and defeat sin and defeat the works of the enemy. Jesus understood what his call was, and he understood that uh, why he was sent, and that was to seek and save that which was lost. And if I could be honest, each and every one of us, prior to Jesus Christ, not knowing Christ, not having him in our lives, we were lost. We were completely lost. Some of us were lost in alcoholism or addiction. And no matter how hard you tried to kick that habit or to go clean, it just seemed like there was just that constant, that constant monkey on our back, as they say, that just wouldn't allow that clean break, right? For some, it was promiscuity and, and a low self-esteem, and you looked for validation in relationships. You looked for love uh, with this person or the other, and you looked to, to find this, that fulfillment in abusive or dysfunctional relationships. You found that... Uh, it just constantly left you empty, uh, habits and compulsions. Uh, for some, it was in prison. It was in a physical jail cell where you knew that, man, that there had to be more to life than just that. It was uh, last Prayer Central. I heard an awesome testimony. Brother uh, Brian gave his testimony about how he was in prison and how Chaplain George and Chaplain Julio would come and minister to him. And now he's in the house of God, and now he's, uh, now he's coming into... The things of God, awesome, awesome. You know what that says is that uh, prison walls can't keep, a per can't keep Jesus from setting someone free. And thank God for Chaplain, Chaplain George and, 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 and the, those that go into the prison cells and the jail cells and the men's and women's, that they would go in and preach to the lost and preach to the captive the power of Jesus Christ and how he could set them free. And even if they're in a physical jail where their physical freedom has been taken away, they can be free in Jesus. They can sense the freedom of Christ. That They can experience the liberty that comes in knowing Jesus. You ever been lost? Men, you ever been lost? This is church. We can't lie, right? What happens? You get frustrated. You begin to get annoyed. You begin to get angry, sometimes scared, sometimes anxious. Uh, you can get proud because you don't want to stop and ask for directions, right? That feeling of being lost. Lost can mean without direction or purpose, Lost can mean that you are no longer in possession of, like I lost my wallet or I lost my watch, for example. Lost can mean a failure or a defeat. The word lost primarily means to destroy or to demolish, and in this sense of destroyed or having been destroyed. And that's what sin in the world did to many of us, is that it demolished and it destroyed our lives, uh, whether it was marriages, or whether it was relationships, uh, or whether it was your physical health, uh, or whether it was your mind, uh, the sin in the world uh, just comes in and destroys. That's what the Bible says, that the enemy comes not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. I remember I was 19 years old when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and I was 
exhausted from running from God. I was done of the sin, and I was tired of being tired. And I knew that there had to be something more than just the, the, the way that I was living. And I remember coming to a place in my life of surrender, of just submitting to God and saying, I'm not going to fight you anymore, God. I'm going to just surrender myself to you, God. And as I surrendered, freedom came into my life, man. Salvation and the freedom from the weight and the, the guilt and the shame of all my wrongdoings. I literally felt like this hand just picked this weight and this boulder of burden off of my back, man. And it was just the, the feeling of being free. came into the house of God and remember there was young men and women my age that were radical for Jesus. 19, early 20s, and they were serving God. And they weren't just playing church. I mean, they loved Jesus. They were serving God. I think about the Atalanos and serving God faithfully. Just loving God. My wife was 20 years old when she got uh, uh, saved. I think about our pastors, and they were in their early 20s when they got radically saved. Pastor Matt, Pastor Dan, and teenagers uh, radically saved, radically serving God. We need young men and women that would be radically saved, radically serving God, unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of the power of Jesus Christ, because the world is not ashamed of their mess. They're proud, right? They even celebrate how, how proud they are of their sin. But man, when you get a young man or a young woman or an older man or an older woman that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you imagine what that person can do. Excellent examples that I had as a new convert to, of, of individuals my age that were serving God with a fire. And a little bit older, it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm like their age now. <laughs> God is good. It's keeping power, right? See, God, I didn't know at the time, but had a plan for my life, just as he has a plan for each and every one of us. And Jesus always, always has a plan. He always has a plan. And we, sometimes we think... Um, you know, how's God going to move in this one? What's God going to do here in this situation? And, and sometimes we just need to be getting a hold of God and just being still and allowing God and his Holy Spirit to move. What we could not do for ourselves, Jesus always is able to do. I think about uh, in the book of John, chapter 5, the man at the pool of Bethesda. And the story is, is that uh, uh, here at this pool, the waters would be stirred. And you had many individuals that were sick and lame or, or paralyzed or, or just uh, in, in a bad place that uh, when the water would be stirred, the, you know, if you made your way into the water, you would be healed. And so here was this man, and he had been uh, sick. He had had an infirmity for, the Bible says, over 38 years. And when the waters would be stirred, he would never be able to make it, and he would never be able to find that, uh, that healing or that deliverance that he was seeking. And the Bible says uh, in, in verse 6, uh, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, and he said, Sir, 
I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, and he took up his bed and he walked. If you notice, it says that Jesus saw him there. He saw him there, lying there, and he knew the condition and how long that he had been there. And sometimes we can think that, you know, man, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody's aware of what I'm experiencing. Uh, I feel all alone in this. I feel like uh, nobody has an understanding of what I'm wrestling with, uh, of what I'm experiencing in my home or in my life or in my marriage or in my health. Uh, and the Bible says that Jesus knew exactly what was going on in this man's life. He, he knew he had been there. He knew he had been sick for, for a while, and he was aware. And that's comforting tonight because we're not alone. God knows what we're going through. God is aware of your situation. God is aware of what you're going through. And when the enemy would lie and say, you have no one, you have the most high God. You have the Lord of Lords. You have the King of Kings. You have the healer. Jesus, he asked him the, a question that he, he asked many of us today. And he says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be free? Do you want to be made well? It's a question that he asked them. And he, I think he asks us too. Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be set free? Do you want to be saved? And the man, he responds like so many of us, each and every one of us do if we're honest, with an excuse. No one's there to take me in. I've been sick all this time. And we give God these excuses when he says, do you want to be set free? Well, this is how my dad was, and this is how I am, you know? Or my dad was never in, in the home, and this is why I do the things I do. Or I was abused, or I was violated, and this is why I have a hard time trusting. And we make excuse after excuse after excuse, and God says, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be set free? You know what? keeps us from experiencing deliverance, from experiencing freedom, from experiencing our breakthrough, is obedience. Is obedience. Jesus told this man, rise, take up your bed and walk. He gave this man a command. He didn't say, might be a good idea if you maybe, no, he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And this man had now an he had a decision to make. Would he obey the word of God or would he continue in the state that he, he's in? And the Bible says that immediately, 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 he was able to get up and he was made well. And I think we need to be obedient to the spirit of God when the spirit of God begins to challenge us. When the spirit of God says, uh, you want breakthrough? Get up in the morning and pray. You want breakthrough? Seek and study the scriptures. You want breakthrough? Begin to fast. You want to see a miracle happen and take place? Begin to seek God. Maybe the Spirit of God is dealing with some of us in this place and saying, you got to cut that loose. You got to cut this individual loose. This relationship that you have, it's draining you. It's, it's hindering you. It's stopping your growth. And the question is, is will we respond, you know, in obedience? Someone said, obedience to God is the pathway 
to the life that you want. Obedience to God is the pathway to the life that you want. He said, Brother Manny, we're talking about freedom. And you're talking to us about obedience, submission. Yes, yes. Because these are the keys. These disciplines are the keys to us experiencing freedom, experiencing breakthrough, to experiencing the power of God in our lives. The story of Jesus when he went into the synagogue and he picked up uh, the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read out of uh, chapter 61. And he says, in Luke 4.18, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed. And then he says, today that scripture is fulfilled. That was bold of Jesus. That was bold of Jesus that he went into the synagogue and he said, uh, this is uh, scripture is speaking of me. And today, you know, it is fulfilled, man. The boldness that he has that when he speaks into our lives, it's with authority and it's with power. And the Bible says uh, that we are his disciples, uh, that we too should be able to speak with the boldness of Christ and the authority that Christ has given us uh, as free men and women, as free born-again believers, uh, that God has given us an anointing, that God has given us a freedom, that God has given us uh, the authority to go and to talk to people about the good news of Jesus, uh, the gospel to the poor, right? Uh, to, to, to lay hands on the sick, uh, to let them know that uh, they don't know, have to be, no longer have to be bound. We got an outreach I just saw this coming Saturday. And you know what we do in outreach? We preach the gospel. We witness. We minister. We, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Can, what, can I what can I do for you? Can I tell you that Jesus loves you tonight? See, this freedom that we have, there's an expectancy and there's a responsibility that we be imitators of Christ. That we be imitators of Christ. Not imitations of Christ, but imitators of Christ. And not just imitating and playing the part, but being sincere and being honest and being real. You ever go down to the alley, the Santee Alley in downtown L.A.? Okay, some of you know where I'm going with this, right? I love it. It's fun. It's great. It's an open flea market, but I know when I'm going there, I know that these aren't legit, man, these, these products that they sell. Like the Louis Vuitton bag for 20 bucks, it's, 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 a, it's not a stretch to believe that it's a fake, you know, Louis Vuitton, right? If you look closely, it doesn't say Ray-Bans, it says Rubans. So you, you understand that, you got to go understanding that this is an imitation, Right? But in the things of God, when it comes to imitating Christ, we need to be the real deal, man. And not saying that we're perfect, and not saying that we're super spiritual giants, but we need to be the real deal, man. Imitating Christ. Some, I was reading in a, in a commentary, and it said, imitating Christ isn't just mimicking his external actions and behaviors, but replicating within our lives his internal motives. We pray because he prayed. But we should also be praying because of the same motives. 
to connect to the Father, to seek His will, to conform ourselves to His image. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 14, it says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Colossians 3.10, it says, Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. Ephesians 4.24, it says, Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That we should live as Jesus lived. I think sometimes... People have a misconception of who Jesus is. They think of him as uh, just, you know, some flower power hippie walking with long hair and just saying peace and love. And that's not, that's not the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible, Jesus, he was a warrior and a peacemaker. He was a redeemer that destroyed the power of sin and darkness. The Christ of our Bible, he is a healer and deliverer, and he's able to silence and cast out demons. The Christ of our Bible, he is gentle and lowly of heart, the Bible says, but yet he speaks with power and authority. He's patient and long-suffering, but he had enough. Uh, when he saw all the, the money transactions going on in the temple, and he violently overthrew those, uh, those uh, tables, he's compassionate. And he is loving, but he hates sin, and he hates the destruction that it leaves behind in the lives of his people. See, we need to remember that the heartbeat of God is people. The heartbeat of God is, was, and always will be people. And the plan of God uh, has always been to redeem his people, to bring them out of captivity, to bring them out of darkness, and set them into a marvelous light to minister to the lost. And that should be our burden as believers, as followers of Christ. We should share in that same burden, that we should have a hunger to see souls get saved, that we should have a burden for the lost, that we should desire to see the unsaved come to Jesus Christ. Must have been maybe a year in Christ, just a new convert. And I had this uh, co-worker, and this individual, he was extremely knowledgeable in, in the Word of God. He could quote scriptures forward and backwards. He knew theology and doctrine and dogma and the Latin and the Greek and the Hebrew and everything else. I mean, the man was an encyclopedia, a biblical encyclopedia. But this individual, he lacked, he lacked compassion. And he lacked love. And when I would talk with him, he always had something negative to say about the lost, about sinners, about people. He always kind of gave you this impression like he was above them and they were beneath him. And it would just vex me and it would bother me and it would annoy me that this man who was so knowledgeable in the word of God and yet had no compassion and no love. And I remember we were talking and he was talking about this... Uh, group of youngsters that was at a park next to our job. He was just berating them, just 
And I told him, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go and tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. You ought to go and witness to them. And he just looked at me surprised. And you know what? I think that was one of the last conversations that we had. He was an individual that missed it, that missed it completely. In 1 Corinthians 13.2, it says, If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secrets, plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. See, we have a responsibility to love the way Christ loved. We have a responsibility to those who don't know true love, who don't know the love of God. We have a responsibility to, to them to love them. We also have a responsibility to serve, just as Jesus served. John chapter 13 and verse 15 it's right before the death and crucifixion of Jesus, and he is ministering to his disciples, and he's teaching them an important lesson about servanthood. He begins to wash their feet, right? He begins to wash their, their feet. And he, verse 14, he said, 15, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. What's Christ done in our lives that we can do to other people? Has God blessed us that we can bless someone else? Has God loved us that we can love someone else? Has God come through, you know, time after time that we can be used to, to meet the need in someone's life? They'll be blessed. They'll be blessed. But you know who will really be blessed? You, you, you know who will really be moved by your act of sacrifice and service? God. God, that you would take time to minister to his people, that you would take time to minister to those who might not have come in to the fold yet, that you would use your liberty and your freedom to serve the lost, to serve God's people, man. I tell you what, God would be blessed, man. God would be honored by that work of service. Someone said, by providing service to others, we become God's hands reaching out to others. God has a special place in his heart for the most vulnerable members of society, and he charges his followers with providing service to them. We can't hold back. We cannot hold back. We can't hold back what God has given to us. Water, and Jesus is there, and she has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus begins to ministered to her, and he begins to say, if you continue to drink from that water, you'll be thirsty again. If you continue to drink from the same old well, you're going to be thirsty again, but if you drink from me, the well of living water, you'll never thirst again. And she's surprised because here's Jesus, uh, a Jewish man, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman, and the Samaritans were used to being looked down upon. They were misfits. They were outcasts. They were the ones that uh, they didn't want around. And yet Jesus was taking the time to talk to this Samaritan woman. And he begins to speak to her about the lifestyle that she's living. That she was involved with uh, living, in living an adulterous lifestyle with different men and, you know, looking for something, looking for that love and relationship after relationship after relationship. And Jesus is ministering and he's speaking to her and, and she deals with that uh, she deals with that, with, with, with that confrontation, and she says, I want this living water. 
I want this living water. She comes to a place where she realizes that she's talking to a man of God. She's talking to Jesus. She's talking to the Son of the Most High, right? In verse 28, the Bible says that the woman left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, and come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the city, and they came to Jesus. Verse 39, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in Jesus, believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. What an awesome, awesome testimony. A sinful woman's testimony. And she's bringing half the city to come meet Jesus. Think about it. They knew who she was. They knew what she was about. They knew exactly the lifestyle that she lived. But there's something about a testimony that when Jesus gets a hold of a person, it don't matter what you came out of. Jesus redeems that testimony. He refines it, and he uses it for his honor and glory. What is the devil lying to you about in your testimony? What is he saying? God can't use that. Uh, you should be ashamed of that. That's no longer you. That's the old person. You were born again. You've been set free by the power and the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. And what you used to do, you can use that to say, I've been where you're at, uh, and God loves me, and he did this in my life. He'll do the same in your life. A sinful woman's testimony, and she was bringing a half a city to come meet Jesus. That's the power of God. That's the power of an individual who understood the responsibility that they had and the freedom that they had been given. You know who else? understood the responsibility of the freedom was the madman of Gadara, the man that was possessed, the man that uh, had a legion of demons inside of him, and he lived in the catacombs, and he would uh, be chained up, but uh, because of the torment, he would break out of those chains, and the Bible says he would cut himself because of the torment that he was under. This man that they put him on the, the catacombs, they put him outside. Nobody wanted anything to do with this man because he was possessed and the torment that this individual must have gone through. That when Jesus comes up to him, even the demons were saying, uh, don't torment me. And what does Jesus do is he does is he looks at this man and he casts those demons out and he sends them to a herd of swine and those pigs couldn't even take all the demons that they were so overwhelmed they ran off the edge and into the uh, sea. And the Bible says that the townspeople, they came and they saw this man and he was sitting with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They were amazed. They were even afraid. And as Jesus was getting ready to, to, to leave and go further in his journey, he was ready to follow them, and he was ready to get onto the boat, right? Jesus says, no, I got something else for you. He stops them, stops them from getting onto the boat, and he tells them in Mark 15, uh, verse uh, 19, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to pro proclaim in the Decapolis 
how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Jesus, he set this man free from a legion of demon tormentors, and, and, and now he was free, and he wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, but rather than getting into the boat, Jesus says, you need to go back to your hometown. You need to go back to your city, and you need to tell him all that God, all that, Jesus, all that I, he has done in his life. And he did that, but that Decapolis wasn't just some little city. wasn't some little town. A Decapolis was a city that was made up of 10 cities. And this man had been touched and set free by the power of Jesus that he went back and he was a one-man outreach team, outreaching within 10 cities. And people were amazed and they were marveled at the power of God in this man's life. He used what was given to him, his freedom and his testimony to reach others and to make a difference and to see others come to a place uh, where they can meet Jesus. This man, he understood that he had a responsibility to share the love and the mercy of Christ with the lost people. As our worship team comes up this evening, I really believe that there's something about the taste of freedom. That once you've tasted true freedom, you really can't keep it to yourself. You really can't just hoard it. That there's something inside of you that makes you want to go back and Tell others about the freedom that you have in Christ, about the forgiveness and the salvation that we can receive in him. It's almost a sense of duty to go back and show others the way. I was reading about um, Harriet Tubman. She was known as the Moses of her people. She was born a slave, and she was able to run away and, and find her freedom. This woman was an incredible woman of faith. She was constantly, when she was on her journey to freedom, uh, she just had this faith in Jesus that he would lead her, lead her through whatever obstacles. And she came to a place where she was free. She was free. But there was something inside of her that it wasn't enough. There was still friends and family members that were still in bondage. And so she knew that her life's call and her mission was to go back and bring as many as she could with her. She became a conductor in the Underground Railroad, and one of the things that she could boast about was that uh, she never lost a passenger. And those that uh, followed her, she was always able to get them to a place of freedom. She understood that, uh, that the taste of freedom was so good that there was just no way, no way she could keep it to herself. And she kept going back, and she kept going back, and she kept going back. She said this, I have heard their groans and sighs, and I had seen their tears. And I would give every drop of blood in my veins to free them. What a heart she had for those that were lost. What a heart she had for those that were still bound. And church, God has been so good to us. So, so good to us. We could be here all night and give testimony. All night and all week of give testimony of, of what he's done in our lives. Whether it was healing us 
from a sickness or disease or saving our marriage or bringing in our kids or we could give testimony after testimony after testimony. But we have a mandate. We have a call. We have a responsibility. And that responsibility is the lost. That responsibility is those that have yet to taste the freedom of Christ. I, I, I end with this scripture in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 16. I will seek that what was, I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away. Bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. God is good, man. If we can have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight and reverence.